It has been just over three years uh, since a group of us started meeting uh, in my living room uh, and dreaming about what would become a church in Tom's River. Uh, how would we be different? How would we reach people that no one else is reaching? There are already churches in Tom's River at that point, so we didn't want to reach the people that they're reaching. They're doing a good work. How would we be different in reaching a people that no one else is currently reaching? And so we dreamed, we prayed, and at that first meeting, uh, this core team, uh, as we called them, uh, we, we talked about a handful of things, and here's some pictures of them. There are some faces on there that I bet you never knew were part of the, uh, the, OG, the OG, the original crew that we had going on, uh, because that's because one of the things, we said a few things in an opening meeting, but in that, in that opening meeting, I looked at them and I said, this is going to be awesome. We are going to grow as a family. We are going to start, we're going to fall in love with one another as families would. And then guess what? We're going to launch this church, and I'm telling you from day one, these relationships will start to take a back seat. Why? Because we, we said that we wanted to start a church that valued people walking through our doors. We wanted to value, uh, value people that were far from God, coming to know God. And so if we were, as we're in this building, I can't value uh, Carly, Ava, Graham, Michelle, uh, Krista, Josh. I can't value them with all of my attention while saying I value the new person. As I value the person far from God, I can't adequately value both of them as they take up the same space. And so from day one, we said we will grow in relationship. But at church, these relationships will have to look different in order to value the people that we want and are called to value. Don't we do this with God? We elevate certain relationships over our relationship with God. We communicate to God, this relationship is more important than my relationship with you. Why? Because the person before me is taking up physical space. I don't physically see God. And so it's easy for me to elevate a certain relationship over my relationship with God. We all, if we want to admit it, struggle with this. The boyfriend says, I will only receive value from you if you have sex with me. At that moment, you have a choice. Do I value God enough to say K to the boyfriend or K to God who says keep the marriage bed pure? What about when you're, when you're at work and, and you're a salesman and your boss is, is hounding you about sales and he's telling you to lie to a customer to land the deal? Whose voice are you going to value? Are you going to value your boss's voice and say, K to him, or respond to God by saying, God, you have called me to be truthful? Which voice will have more of a priority? What about the son or the daughter that, that is in the position where they just graduated from medical school? They crushed it. And they got a job at Sloan Kettering right out of college. This is going to make them lots of money in their career. What about that person whose parent says, go, you have so much debt. Take the job that's going to pay off the debt very quickly. But while you were at college, you went to crew and you met Jesus. <laughs> And now you feel like Jesus is telling you to go overseas and use your doctorate, use your degree to help those that are less fortunate. Whose voice ultimately do you listen to in that moment? 
if God is calling you overseas. When we raise one relationship up saying, I value this relationship, we are by nature devaluing another relationship. And so who in our life, if we are true to the word of God, whose relationship, what relationship should take primary importance? Is it not our relationship with God? And so here's, we're going to look at just a few short little verses, but I think they say a whole lot to us this morning. So if you have your Bibles, turn to, to Luke chapter 8. If not, they will be on the screen. Jesus says uh, this story, Luke is writing, and it goes like this. Then his mother and his brothers. Now to pause there for a quick second. There are some uh, religious groups that would communicate a certain dogma that uh, Mary was a virgin when she had Jesus. That's true. But then they would communicate that Mary was always a virgin. She was a perpetual virgin. Jesus had brothers. We're not having a birds and the bees discussion, but things have to happen for Mary to have these brothers that weren't of the Holy Spirit. She had to do certain things with Joseph to, to spawn some life. If we're going to be very frank here, Mary was not a perpetual virgin. Jesus had brothers. All right, okay. Uh, and came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. So that, now the crowd has come to Jesus. They're not with the crowd. They're coming now behind the crowd. And it was told, your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. Jesus has become somewhat of a celebrity. Uh, and it's hard to get to him. If you want Jesus, if you want to come to Jesus, there are now crowds following him that would make it hard to do so. If you go to a Yankees game, you cannot just walk up to Aaron Judge and say, hey, let's go get coffee. That's not a conversation you can have with him. If you're walking the streets of New York City and you see J-Lo walk by, you can't just walk up there and be like, Yo, how you doing? How was your day? How was the car ride? Really rough flight. And like, that's not going to happen. And so what, who, who in our lives are we willing to fight and to claw to get their attention? There's a group fighting and clawing to get the, the attention of Jesus. Now, we don't know, these short little verses from Luke, we don't know the spiritual condition of, of Mary and the brothers, but here's what we can tell from other passages. In, in Mark chapter 3, Jesus' brothers are looking at Jesus as a lunatic. Jesus, you're all sorts of crazy. Why? Because they see all the crowds following Jesus, and they assume, because there are crowds, Jesus, you must be out of your mind. Then we can look at, at John chapter 7. Jesus' brothers think he's out of his mind, think he's all sorts of crazy. That's in the picture there as well. And now they go. Now there's a plot in Judah. Now there's a plot for Jesus to go to for the religious leaders to kill Jesus. It's 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 a known thing. And so his brothers think Jesus is all sorts of crazy. They don't believe in Jesus as the Son of God. And so it reached this boiling point in John chapter seven when they said, Jesus, you should go to Judah. <laughs> You should hang out with those religious leaders. They're encouraging him to go to a place of Jesus' death. And so if your family has ever suggested you die, thought you crazy, or assumed that you needed rescue, you're in good company with Jesus. But there's hope. Because Jesus in a resurrected form where he died, they knew it, and then he came back to life, they see it. And James becomes a huge leader of the early church. There's hope for him. There's hope for your relatives. 
So they desire to see Jesus, but what are they doing? What's their posture? We don't necessarily know how this conversation went on, but there's a crowd, and they're standing in the back. Now, did somebody just notice Jesus, his family, and say, oh, they must need Jesus, and so on their own they went to see Jesus? Or did, are they standing back here saying, hey, you go get Jesus for me. I need him. The mother has spoken. Did they do that or they play telephone tag? I don't know. But we know their posture. We know that there's a barrier with the crowd. And we know that they're, they're playing this wait and see approach. At some level, however this communication has happened, they're saying, we need to talk with Jesus, but we're not going to fight through the barrier. We're, we'll wait for Jesus to come to us. Aren't there barriers in many of our relationships? Don't we fight barriers every single day? If you look at our political climate, aren't there barriers? Listen, you might have whatever opinion you want. I would not want to be in politics right now because it seems really impossible to come up with a really good solution. And that's a conversation I had just recently. I was invited into a conversation with our drummer, Matt. He gave me permission. It's not the drummer today, but he's one of our drummers. Uh, he, he, invited, he gave me permission to share this with you. We were talking the other day about a barrier that we are facing as a society. Now, I don't care your opinion of this issue, perhaps. I'm just letting you in on the conversation. What I think about this, this conversation is just that. We should be willing to have a conversation and not be so thick-headed that, well... There's no, we're, we're absolutely right. What the, the issue that we were talking about was abortion. And, and, he, and he's like, listen, I have a struggle. I, I respect women, and I think they should, they should have a right. I myself, though, was adopted, and I myself, uh, I, I value the fact that I wasn't aborted and that I even have the right to be texting with you right now and even have the right to have an opinion. So, Jason, as a Christian, what do I do? And I said, Matt, I'm in the same exact boat. Because I don't want to align myself with pro-life or pro-choice. Because when I do, I align myself with the extremists. I have to say, if you, value, if you, if you are pro-life, this is what I'm saying to Matt in the conversation, is that if you are pro-life in the extreme form, you only value one life in the equation. You don't give a darn about the mother. Just keep the child alive, and then everything else will work itself out. But as a Christian, don't we value all human beings, both the mom and the child? And so then I was like, but, but Matt, but Matt, I can't go to the route of, of pro-choice either in the extreme form because aren't we saying that we only care about the choice of one person in the equation? Aren't we saying that, that only one person in the equation is, it has the right to have a choice? So what do we do? And we're, we, so we created a barrier. And then because we were willing to have conversation, we're not able to take any of our ideas and make it happen. But here's some of the things that we thought of. What if we take all the money that we're pouring into this industry and gave wicked big tax, tax breaks? for parents to adopt children and say, hey, here's a bigger tax break for you. What if we gave those same tax breaks to the mom to say, we value the mom who's willing to have the child and give it up for adoption. Here, we want to value you because, because there, there's a need there as well. I don't know the solution, but my point is this. Are we willing to have a conversation and to get creative? There's a barrier here. And the parent, Mary and the brothers, aren't willing to find a way to fight through the barrier. 
That is why we have uncommon relationships. This is how uncommon relationships are created in society. We value uncommon relationships. What, what makes a relationship uncommon is the fact that not many people have said relationships. So not many people are going to be 21 years old and hanging out with a 65-year-old chewing on God's word. That is uncommon. Why? Because we see the barrier of age and we don't want to fight through it. There's segments of our society that would see the barrier of race and say, I don't want to fight through it, so it becomes uncommon. My, my viewpoint on, on politics, my viewpoint on, on abortion, my viewpoint on social media, my viewpoint, my viewpoint, a barrier, I don't want to fight through it. See, uncommon relationships are formulated when we are willing to blow through the barrier and say, I value the person. I value the person, and that is what matters. Is that also maybe why we have a barrier with our relationship with God? Are we, grow, are we not growing in the word? Are we not growing in Christ? Because we see certain things as a barrier that we're not willing to fight through in order to grow. We stop responding okay to God. Here's where this now goes. But he answered them. He's looking at, at all of them and he's saying, My mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it who see clearly what Scripture says, and then they go and they, and they do it. He's saying, this is just like the sower that Carly was talking about. This is an issue of priority. And as, the, as the seeds fall, this is what Jesus is saying. The greatest loyalty should lie with my Heavenly Father, with God Almighty. That's where somebody's loyalty should lie, lie with. He's not. People, are look, people look at this passage and say, well, Jesus was just a giant jerk to his family. Jesus didn't care about family. Not if you look at the scripture as a whole, Jesus in his resurrected body. What do we say? He made a point to show himself to James. And then what did he do? Well, hanging on a cross, fighting for every breath. He looks at John and says, take care of my mother. So Jesus' point is not to undermine his family. This is now an issue of priority. You know who I consider family first and foremost? Those who look at the will of God and want to do and pursue the will of God. That is the highest priority any one of us can have. If you feel tension in your earthly relationships, oftentimes that tension is created because Somebody, I might value God's word and value the truth of God's word more than said person. And it naturally starts to create tension. Versus when, when in a marriage, my wife and I both hunger for the word of God. And guess what that helps us do? Grow in relationship with God and each other. Sometimes that tension is created because our value systems are different. So let me illustrate this with Jordan. Jordan is our well youth lead. He just did. He, I let him do communion, which is a very privileged position. And it is. I'm, I don't say that kidding. But it, I mean, it is. But Jordan, uh, let me tell you about one of the first experiences I had with Jordan. Uh, I was a youth pastor. And, uh, and he was uh, my youth student. His parents went on a vacation. They said, oh, great, there's a missions trip. I'm going to send Jordan. He's a headache on a missions trip. And so they gave me that headache while we went on a missions trip. And uh, there wasn't a really annoying junior hire. Have you ever met a really annoying junior hire uh, who was annoying Jordan? And, uh, and Jordan's hand got caught in a door or something. And so Jordan, after he got his hand caught in the door, did not turn around and say, dear annoying sir, may I pray for you? He turned around and slugged the kid. And, uh, and so I was like, oh, 
awesome. This is wonderful. It was my first time leading a missions trip, too. And the organizers of the missions trip said, we have this rule. Um, Jordan has to go. <laughs> Uh, so the, for the first time and only time in my history as a youth pastor back in the day, Jordan was the first and only one I've ever had to kick off a missions trip. <laughs> Our values were a little different at that point. Uh, he, uh, Dina and Ralph had a few words with Jordan. And, uh, and then things started to turn around, but it really didn't turn around until Jordan was on another missions trip. He, he went to Africa at the end of his college career, and uh, he, he met Jesus in a very real way as, as, as he was working. He's saying, my life has been in, in, in the gutter, and now I'm turning my life back over to Jesus. I want Jesus to be of primary importance, of priority. And so Jordan and I then started to have different conversations. Jordan and I really didn't talk for a while, but then now we're talking because Jordan just can't get enough of Jesus, wanting all of his decisions to be funneled through the Spirit of God and God's Word. And now Jordan and I are much better friends than, than when we were right after that mission trip where he slugged a kid. Why? Because Jordan's value system changed, and now together we are both striving after God's Word. And aren't we thankful for the impact he is having on our students that we get to call him our well youth lead? We obey God's word and we'll find that we have something in common with other people that obey God's word. That should be a, a bond that, that it links us together. We should encourage the spirit of God working in other people. We, you should be encouraged that, man, if you have struggles with your family, but you come here and you're like, man, this is family. They, we have equal values. We, we are looking at things similarly. Like We're growing. If you're looking at the people around you as brother or sister or a spiritual father, perhaps that's evidence that God is working inside of you. And maybe we should be inviting those people towards our, our circles because this should be a place where family is created. A place where we grow in relationship with one another. Where we rightfully look at each other as brother and sister. Why? Because we have the bond of Jesus as our heavenly father. What unites us as family? Obedience. That's the big thought for us this morning is that the family of God pursues the will of God. If we are to be a family, a church family, then what we do collectively and together is we pursue the will of God. The family of God pursues the will of God. And that is the key to intimacy with our relationship with God and the key to intimacy with one another. Now, two things about the will of God, because that's a phrase thrown around and can be confusing. First, I think there's a will of God for all of us. As we seek God's word, this is God's will for all of us. When it says, hey, keep the marriage bed pure, that's his will for all of us. He doesn't pick and choose saying, hey, I know, it's, I know kindness is one thing. Okay, you, you guys be jerks, but my will is for you guys to be kind. No, kindness is for all all of God's people. That's his will, to look at God's scripture and to obey that. So are we helping each other know this word and to grow understanding that? The second thing about God's will is that it may not be true for everybody in certain aspects. God called me out of youth ministry to plant this church. He didn't call any one of you. He called me. God called some people to go and be a missionary. He's not calling everybody over to Africa. He's called some. God has maybe called some of you to a specific job, a specific industry. He's not calling everybody. He's calling you. And then if I'm going to get real personal, I've had my struggles with alcohol. God is looking at me and saying, Jason, I know it says it's okay in God's word to have a drink. Yes, I turned water into wine. All of those things. It is okay. It is not sinful. But Jason, my will for you is that you would 
could not touch it. I know that for me because I will go and I will abuse it. So if we are the family of God, are we encouraging God's will in other people? Because if my son is ever given over to an addiction, guess what? That will never be allowed in my house. We will fight that as a family. If God is calling my son to, to be a missionary overseas and he has, he has the opportunity to have a lucrative job, my job as a family is to guide him not towards my desires but towards the will of God. That is how we fight as family. It's something that Ava and I value. We, were, we spent Saturday night on the beach last night on a blanket. I'm so adorable. And, uh, and so we spent the night uh, just like towards the end, we were just like thanking God for all the blessings in our lives. We have wild Saturday nights. And, uh, and so we were doing that. And one of the things we said was uh, that we were just really thankful that our kids don't have uh, portions of the same upbringing that we have. They have, they're, they're, they have a different upbringing than we do. And I thought about this. And, and last week, I don't know if Landon would have said that. <laughs> Uh, last week after church, uh, Ava went and did something, so I had the kids all by myself at home, which is so much fun. And, uh, and so we're there, and, and, and Landon and Reagan are being really mean to Brady, and Brady started crying. It broke Brady's heart. I saw his lips quiver, which I was like, oh. Uh, and so I was like, we talked. It kept happening. And so finally I was like, okay, like, Landon values money. And, uh, and so I was like, okay, Landon, you've lost uh, elements of your commission this week. You've lost money because you're, you're continuing to be mean to your brother. And Landon started freaking out and, and coming at me uh, and, and saying, Dad, you make me feel like I'm a bad brother. I was like, why? Because you punish me. I was like, do I make you feel like a bad brother or do your actions make you feel that way? And then we kept talking, we kept talking, and he's like, but dad, but dad, but dad. He was getting angry with me, and I kept saying, your actions, your actions, your actions are what make you feel this way. And I said, finally I got to the point where it's like, enough of the conversation. This conversation is over. You need to think about it now. Your actions communicate. And he sat and he thought, and about a few moments later, he, he looked up at me and said, dad. Did Reagan lose money too? Yeah. You both were wrong. You both lost money. Hmm. And then he started being kind to his brother. I don't necessarily know what's going on in his brain to ask that question. But he started thinking, and he's made, he made a significant shift for the rest of the day. He wouldn't have looked at that as a privileged position, but some of you that grew up without a mom or a dad know what a privileged position that is. Landon may not understand that it's a privileged position, but he would if it was a void in his life. And I look at it as a privileged position to be his dad and to communicate to him what family really values, the will of God. Check out the story of the Engrofs. Why we started fostering is because we knew there was a need and... Uh, I think God just put it on my heart to be like, go help out, go do this. And we've always talked about adding children to our family. So I put it on Michelle. <laughs> and I was completely freaked out and I avoided it for over a year. Um, Pat dragged me to an informational session and I had all the doubts and all the questions. Um, but through our church family and through lots of prayer and wisdom from people who we were close to, um, we did trust that God would honor us through this decision and through this journey. So we were, I was very nervous about how it would impact our children. We have three biological children. And um, now, after being 
foster parents for a little over two years. We um, have noticed a big growth through our kids. They are more, um, I think, thankful and understanding that not everyone has a perfect home life. And um, they'll even say things like, you know, yeah, I think we should do this again. We should help another child because not everyone has a mommy and a daddy who loves them like we do. Um, so that's really nice to hear. Yeah, the impact has been like, sometimes you know, nothing's perfect. Sometimes it's a battle, sometimes it's not, but the kids and all like love it. Now they have another brother or another sister, even though they're not with us the whole time, they're still, they're excited to see them when we see them again. <laughs> so I think the impact on our first child um, who was placed with us it was one of, you know, he had a very, um, at the time, unstable environment. He had a very um, toxic relationship surrounding him. Although he was an infant, um, he had a lot of behaviors and a lot of um, inappropriate coping mechanisms, I guess, from the environment in which he was born. Um, but caring for him for almost two years and bringing him to therapies and um, just giving him a normal, our normal, um, nurturing and loving environment um, and support from all of our friends and family. Um, it's really awesome to see him now. He's reunited with his dad, who is doing wonderful. Um, and although it was a very hard process, it was, it is so, um, amazing to see and be a part of him still a part of his life and a part of his father's life and to have a relationship with him as an extended family um, who we love and will always will always be there for them he loves coming back and like, hanging yeah. out and sleepovers yeah as a christian we just with the foster care we decided like it's god says love thy neighbor and loving your neighbor is helping out out when they're in need. So right now, Tom's River is having an epidemic, the world is having an epidemic with heroin, and it doesn't just affect the poor people, it doesn't just affect the white guy, the black, it affects everyone. So now everyone needs that help. And for Christians to show children, you know, God, Jesus, it's like, you're not alone in this, you have other people. Mm -hmm. So that just, I think it helps us, and I think it helps the foster kid. Yeah. A close friend of ours, um, I remember when we were praying through and struggling about whether or not to pursue this because our life is crazy. Our kids are crazy. We um, don't always feel well equipped to be foster parents, but even if we just have a child for a short time and show them a glimpse of the love of Jesus, um, we just pray that that has impact on their lives later on. It doesn't matter your political stance, we should value people and we should value family and humans. And so in this space, there are people that maybe don't have a dad. Are we willing to be a spiritual father or a spiritual brother to them? People that maybe have lost loved ones, and although we can ever replace a loved one, are we willing to be that brother, that sister, that dad? Are we willing to consider, that's my challenge for us this morning, is that would you consider fostering? Uh, Lee's in the back in the hallway right over here. Uh, Lee's a big guy. He, uh, he teaches MMA and stuff, so don't mess with him. And, uh, but he's back there. He has information about fostering and, uh, and adoption. Because maybe that's one of the practical ways as Christians we might see a barrier in society, 
But why don't we go on the forefront of coming up with some sort of a solution? And in doing so, we can teach people the family values, the value of, of God himself and how we conduct ourselves. Let me pray. God, I thank you for this morning. Father, I thank you that you've given us this family as a gift, as an example, Father. I thank you, Father, that I get to be called, uh, uh, I get to be in a family of God, that I get to look at this as family. I get to look out at brothers and sisters, Father, my own spiritual fathers of sorts. Lord, I thank you for this time. I thank you that we get to be in a space to declare your name above any other name. So it's in your powerful name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday, guys. Thank you for checking out a sermon recorded right here at Wellspring Church in Toms River. If it's your first time connecting with us, we'd love to stay connected with you. So don't forget to like and subscribe to this video. And then down in the description box below, there's ways to give online. There's our social media accounts. We'd love to stay connected with you throughout the week. We love and appreciate you, and we hope you have a fantastic week.